1: This is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer,
2: Dr Sam Willis. And he's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising subject oozing with unexpected historical significance. And
1: this week it's the History of Hands. Which is all about medieval kingship childhood and you've guessed it it is about gloves sam and jazz jazz hands jazz hands if
2: you like what you hear please leave us a review on itunes subscribe to the podcast and tell all of your friends all of them
1: we're on twitter follow me at dr sam willis and you can follow me at james daybell and you can follow histories of the unexpected on at unexpected pod we are proud to be part of the excellent history hit network home of dan snow's history hit and other great shows
2: and you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months show notes video clips photos of everything we discuss, and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 34 of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio-googling through history, exploring the histories of things you didn't
1: even know had a significant story to tell, like dust, shadows, or mud. Mud. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history, and crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of needlework is in fact all about nazis and political coups Mm. and in fact that the history of time is all about the industrial revolution and 12th century monasteries Mm, that's a good one there the man sitting opposite me is the dentist of dates it's professor james daybell and the man sitting opposite me is the archivist of antiquity it is the wonderful dr sam willis
2: together we'll be piloting you on this uncharted very dangerous flight into the past each week one of us takes the lead and this week it's my turn are you ready what have you got for us we're doing the history of hands
1: the history of hands as somebody who is uh, obsessed at the moment with gloves hands are right up my street and i promise i will only talk a little bit so what do you think about the unexpected history of hands
2: um um, jazz hands hands. Um, i'm thinking about gesture i think about pointing we're both sitting here with our arms crossed which
1: is rather weird for us actually do you ever talk like that when you're lecturing sometimes depends whether i'm nervous this is obviously a sign of deep insecurity it is but you're you're talking about hands a uh, gesture i gesticulate all the time have so you ever tried talking very important while sitting on your hands I will try it now. It'll, it's right. probably, it will probably be terrible for me. I think it will be terrible for me. It will you. be terrible for me. He it's looks very, very awkward. It's very uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, I actually think hands are really important for historians. There's been so much work done. I know what you're going to say, but I mean for actually actually, <laughs> as a historian. Getting your hands dirty in the archives. <laughs> yes, obviously getting your hands dirty yep. in the archives. Um, so your hands as a tool for picking up uh, opening yep. boxes and things like that. But actually being able to discuss the ideas you want to discuss and to use your use your hands as you said when you're lecturing to actually make the points. so you can be very specific about certain things you can be more open with things and I think you can really get a much better sense of exactly how you think about a
1: subject if you use your hands properly in public speaking absolutely and it's something i do well you can see me now I am, yeah. uh, it's unfortunate that we don't have a video uh, for you to be able to see that he's making um, a kind of small melon, but, gesture. Small, small <laughs> melon gesture. but it is a subject that has occupied a lot of attention among the the scholarly community, you know, in many, many ways, studies on, it comes out of studies on the body, studies of clothing, studies of gesture, studies of touch, a brilliant book that we've been reading by Farah Karim Cooper, The Hand on the Shakespearean Stage, Mm. Uh, a wonderful book that I've been reading recently uh, on The Finger, The Finger, a handbook by the art historian, Angus Trumble, uh,
2: which is absolutely fascinating. Now, I suppose that's not just pointing. It's um, see, this is good for podcasts. Drumming, yeah. yeah. clicking.
1: Yeah. So it's digits, yeah. digits. Uh, I've also been reading the anthropology and social significance of the human hand, which is a sort of compendium of an article that sort of explores the whole range and meaning of hands across time. So we can think about hands as a form of communication, gesture, as we were talking about earlier on. We can think about how you actually read hands. So you look at an individual's hands and how. Hands are a social or cultural marker. They're a marker of race, you know, the colour of hands. They're a marker of class, workers' hands. They're also a marker of criminality. In the early modern period, to be marked, to be burnt on the hand, or to have your hand chopped off, was a way of signifying a criminal. I suppose there's a very obvious link to criminality with fingerprints
2: as well. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I wonder when that came... I actually don't know. When did someone first realise... Fingerprints were unique. We should Google that now.
1: Okay, let's um, find out. I,
2: I actually don't know. I'm going to guess it was while a Chinese. He's, while, he,
1: while he's Googling, you also think about the cultural meaning of hands: the left and the and the right hand. The left hand is associated with evil. The right hand associated with good. You know, God and the devil. Uh, the right hand of the Father. The hand is a sensory organ. So the idea of touch. You know, the history of surfaces, of friction, of vibration, percussion. You think of early painting, the hand is associated with early painting, cave paintings. Mm. The hand and language, I think, is interesting. The hand for counting, the hand for measuring. You know, the hand is a, was a way of measuring horses. Hands and the occult and symbolism. So we look at palm reading, hand and handshake. Wow, you think about hand and the political handshake. You know, there's been some interesting work done recently on Donald Trump's handshake. Right, if you think Donald Trump's handshake, you should, I'll pretend to be Donald Trump. Yeah, you're doing it, uh, well. And Donald Whoa. Trump
2: pulls you. What he, he pulled, nearly pulled me off my he seat. He pulls you in.
1: Yeah. So it's uh, you know the handshake for him, a very sort of macho kind of way of showing. God, that would his, annoy his me. Power. It would, and I'm sh- it annoys a lot of people. Uh, didn't he shake Angela Merkel's hand like that? Ah, uh, he refused oh, he to re- shake. Well you That's what it was, he yeah. Refused he refused to shake. Ah. It So the politics of not shaking hands when you're looking at political leaders. I'm going to talk a little bit about politicians' hands later Dude, well, on. I- I'm going to
2: start off, because the first thing I, uh, that
1: made me think about this was a book I'm reading.
2: It's a description of a gesture. I just really, really liked it. Because I've had laser eye surgery recently, and I don't wear glasses anymore. But this, L- is, this is about don't. someone who's deliberately using his glasses to make a gesture. Right. He removed his glasses and slowly rubbed his eyelids. It was a gesture he had always enjoyed. Having been blessed as a child with excellent eyesight, he had sometimes been impatient for the day when he too would do it. In fact, there were two distinct versions of the gesture. This is a bit I love. In the first, the glasses were removed with a sweeping gesture of the right hand, the head turning slightly to the right as though to add a finishing touch. The second, a more refined version of the first, was accompanied by an enigmatic smile and, when perfectly executed, the glasses were removed with understated awkwardness by the left hand so that the right could be held out to the visitor for whom the gesture had been made, like an artistic performance intended as a greeting. It's amazing. Amazing. Just how complicated it can be. And so that's someone who's actually just thought about their gestures. And it really made me think about how often... i just use one there. I've used one. What is that? That's a kind of... I don't know, it's a flat right hand gesture. It's not a cutting one, it's an open one. How often I use my hands and I use gesture. And I liked it that he had two versions of the same yeah, gesture. Yeah. It's clearly a subject which becomes massively complicated the more you think about it. So one of the things I think about being a historian is imagining people in the past. Okay, So if you imagine a load of people in a meeting or sitting around a dining table... Mm. Lots of people will be, there'll be historians studying what they wear, historians studying what they're eating, historians studying what's on the walls, uh, what clothes they're wearing. But for me, none of this really makes sense. We, we might also know what they said, it might have been recorded in a diary. But the moment you start thinking about hands, you realize how inadequate that yeah. understanding is, yeah. unless you actually understand how someone has said something, how they are eating. And there is this kind of an aching vastness of history which completely bypasses us but you become aware of it if you actually study yourself, And I think hands is such a wonderful example of linking your own behaviour patterns to
1: your own inadequate understanding of the past. Yeah. You can think about, you know, the kinds of gestures that we use today, either to offend or to congratulate or to, you know, to welcome people. This is a topic that historians, certainly all historians have looked at in recent years. There's a brilliant recent special edition of the journal Past and Present Mm -hmm. devoted to, to gesture. So, yeah, and the meaning of how gestures like that have changed over time. I think is it is it is, is absolutely extraordinary.
2: Okay, so here's the here's the historical gesture I want to go straight in,
1: in with. Um, this ah, is, where are we here? We are the f- well you you we both you live are, in Exeter. We both live in you- Exeter. <laughs> this is the front of Exeter Cathedral, and where are you zooming in it's, on? It's that? the famous that, west ah, front. Okay, e- so
2: we're both from Exeter. We both walk past this every day, and also chat about history on Cathedral Green a lot. It's a wonderful place to do it. This is the very famous west front of Exeter Cathedral, which was built sometime between 1100 and 1400. This is a medieval screen. It's one of the most extraordinary 14th century medieval screens in England, and it is completely covered in statues. They were built at different periods. Uh, check these guys out at the front, because they're utterly fabulous. One of them is flanking the west door itself. He's immediately to one side of it. There he is. Ah, uh, uh, Oh, there no, he is. He's touching his beard. He is, he is clearly a king, and he is clearly pulling a very long beard. He's not the only one to be doing this. There's another one there. Um, mm. Now, uh this is great, I'm doing the history of hands with Dayball, I'm going to use this and try and find out a little bit about it. One of the really interesting things is they still don't know who all of these people are. So often in history you assume that all of the answers are known, Mm. and you'd Mm. assume that someone has worked out who the people on the front of the west front of Exeter Cathedral are. No one knows. And um, these, these obviously very important people with crowns, they might be one person, they might be another person. William II is one that suggested. Or Henry the First. Now, my money is on Henry the First because it's all to do with Charlemagne. And there is an epic poem from 778 called The Song of Roland. Mm, um, I'm just going to yes. mention a few things from this. He discovers his nephew dead on the battlefield and then he trembles with grief he falls senseless on the body with anguish and then others meanwhile are falling unconscious on the ground then there's a very specific description here and it says that the emperor pulls his white beard and tears his hair with both hands so that's from the 800s because of that I'm going to suggest that this guy pulling his beard with the crown is Henry the first whose son died in 1120 in a shipwreck, a very famous shipwreck called the White Ship Disaster, and his son was his only male Hmm. heir. Hmm. Um, And then it led to uh, an extraordinary period of civil war between Hmm. Stephen Hmm. and Matilda, Hmm. who was his daughter, and the country wasn't ready to have a woman to be king. And I think it's to do with grief. There is some kind of uh, mention of Henry being being the king who never smiled again. Um, And there's a poem, which I'll, I'll talk about later, but that's my theory. I think... Pulling your beard with your hand is a a medieval
1: gesture of grief. Right. (laughs) Let me take kingship another way. And I want to talk also about medieval kings. I want to show you a picture here. And we'll be popping these up on our website. Describe that. Hmm.
2: That is a very ill-looking person um, who has got sores. I can't work out whether they're supposed to be drawings of what's under the skin or whether it's on top of the skin. I suppose it's on top of the skin, but there are areas around the chin, the chest, the armpit, the elbows, the wrists, just sort of pustular
1: scabs, basically. So what this is, this is a depiction, a drawing of um, scrofula. Or the king's evil, which medics think is associated with um, tuberculosis, Mm. and it's where an inflammation of the lymph nodes, and basically what you would have is these huge lesions all around your neck uh, and around your the sort of top of your chest, and basically they would just become septic, Mm. and they would occasionally burst, and you would have a you'd have basically a sort of an open sore, and this was incredibly common, you know before TB uh, was wiped out. And I want to relate this to um, a medieval ceremony uh, related to the king's touch. Hmm. So the monarchs touch. And monarchs would go around, they would have formal ceremonies where they would lay their hands on these open wounds. So they would also give a, a sort of a coin uh, to them.
2: Were they happy to do that? Were they, they not they, worried they, about getting get were, infected? Well,
1: I mean, they. I think they would sort of, you know, wash the hands before and afterwards. Um, but the idea is that it's a new way of thinking about the power of monarchy. So it's not about thinking about formal power, you know, the kind of the amount of money they had. It is about charisma. And it is about superstition. And it's about the sort of magical elements that are associated with the monarchy. Okay, so it's talked about in a very famous book called The Royal Touch, by a wonderful French historian called Marc Bloch. And there's also been a more recent study done of this by a historian called Stephen Brogan called The Royal Touch in Early Modern England, Politics, Medicine and Sin. And effectively what we see is the way in which this kind of charismatic form of royal power, you know, the kind of royal power that appeals to the masses, that is all about show and all about spectacle rather than about, you know, formal, rational, realistic power, actually continues from the medieval period right into sort of pre-enlightenment period. So, for example, Elizabeth I, Mm -hmm. there's talk that in one day, uh, she laid her hands on a thousand people. Mm. James the sixth and first criticised it because, you know, it's seen as something that is very superstitious. The church is often against it, but nevertheless, he still was somebody who practiced this, and we see it in its probably height in England after the Restoration, and Charles the second and James the second were thought to have done this to 100,000 people. It's after the sort of the regicide of Charles I. It's about the restoration of monarchy. It's a way of enhancing royal majesty and royal power and that kind of... And physically connecting view, them with their citizens. Physically connecting them with their, with their citizens. And it has all sorts of problems because you can imagine, you know, nowadays the kind of equivalent in a way is sort of royal honours you know and it's going to meet the queen and and that and you think about how much you know organization that actually takes and it's incredibly intricate the details and the organization of actually putting on these ceremonies are we just talking about northern europe though uh yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i mean where do we where do we see it i mean so in parts of southern europe where do we see it in throughout france um in early modern england pockets of germany Mm-hmm. um that sort of area so I a spe- yeah i spe- wonder how it kind of, of varied course. around the world but touch was important yeah
2: um, important everywhere yeah, yeah. i want to just um bring something in um i absolutely love this um have a quick look there what do we got there we have a sort of small
1: what looks like a s- from, small, it's four 400 bc small angelic <laughs> child yep um Holding on a couple, holding f- on to a couple of birds. Yeah, touching a
2: couple of birds. Um, oh, the, the, and what else do we have? Um, the detail of the fingers is actually really interesting. So this ah. is this is a marble um steel from a sort of kind of a funerary thing. Yeah, uh, from Greece, from 400 BC, and it's a it's a stunning depiction of a child, cradling two doves, I think, and about to release them. Now, what's wonderful about it is if you noticed her fingernails, and she's bitten her fingernails and the artist is so amazingly clever and detailed it's not just all about the cloak it's about highlighting this this picture of of childhood anxiety at the point of releasing her birds i think what i love about this is a raises the question of the history of fingernails yeah do you know anything about the history of fingernails uh i I, know i found very little yeah i found something (laughs) (laughs) very little but it's um it's, it's an anxiety trait which applies equally to adults and children it's, it's mm. one of the few things which you can see in both adults and kids. Which I think you're, so you're,
1: I, my mind is already aware of thinking about fingernails and yeah. painted fingernails and nail varnish and gendering and, and nails falling off and injuries and... and yeah, and, different shapes, yeah. you know, and yeah. actually yeah. they changed the, the fashion of those. And health and illness and the fingernails as a, as a sort of index for how well you are.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact?
1: Let's yeah. do the fingernail. Yeah. Who was the. Um, clippings, fingernail clippings, oh, that's gross. and gesture, and yeah. do you bite your nails? They're like oh, human shells. Like, do you bite your nails? I, no, I used to. I don't know. I'm
2: really proud that I don't. Good. Yeah. Thank Good. you. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, I love the human touch in relation to animals. That's why I kind of brought this up. It's to do with pets, petting, hands, and how you can make that connection. You're doing it, so discussing it between a king yeah. and his people. I have a lovely little dog called Geronimo, and. Um, lovely dog he is constantly you know he, he likes being patted he likes having his ears scratched much more so than i think being spoken to in terms of praise but i think the language between humans and dogs is crucially important and i bet it's changed over time i don't know anything about it i wonder how humans communicated with animals whether it was by touch i mean this is 400 mm. bc mm. these well,
1: are birds stroke, in particular stroking, it's stroking yeah. an animal i think cats you, you, you know. stroke yeah, yeah. i have just been
2: listening to the just so stories with my son And um, there's a wonderful one about why men hate cats. (laughs) Why the dog's allowed to sit by the fire. (laughs) So some people stroke stroke cats and some people kick them and make them go away. So, um, yeah, that's another aspect of something that we can think about. Can you indulge me? Yes, go.
1: Gloves. So, of course, is it about I the know, Reformation? I James? Know, no, 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 it's not about. Well, no, no, no. Yes, actually, actually, the the Reformation will, of course, be linked in here. But I, as you know, uh, I am currently writing a book on gloves, uh, obsessed with gloves, and hands are, of course, inserted into gloves. But what I think is interesting is the times when you do and don't wear gloves, and the significance of the bare hand. Okay you know removing gloves when would you remove gloves which is connected to protocols of politeness so you remove gloves in the presence of royalty or in church or at court it's polite and also more intimate to remove gloves when shaking hands or indeed when when kissing so is that related hands, to touching do you think which is related to touching you you yeah. you let's shake hands now that's very good. you know it's quite a sort of an intimate gesture whereas to shake hands with a glove is something that's very very different there are records you know of bell ringers who when they entered the belfry would be fined for failing to remove their hats, spurs and also their gloves. It was about sort of taking off outdoor things. Um, If we also think about, you know, general rules, subordinates should remove gloves in the presence of superiors. Women were more likely to be allowed to wear gloves in social situations because, you know, we've just sort of shaken hands and to shake hands with a woman is in some ways an intimate gesture, certainly in, in many sort of cultures within the past. This also leads us to the very interesting point about ecclesiastical gloves, so religious gloves. You can think here about how the church, and pre-Reformation in particular, where you have all sorts of religious practices that are associated with relics and the elevation of the host, and the donning of gloves keeps the, the sort of the human hand away from the sacred. Wow. Look at those amazing knitted gloves. That are in the the V&A bishops' gloves, and also here this example of early sixteenth century Spanish gloves. So, in in, in I love the fingers of these these, these bishops' gloves. Each of the finger looks like a church spire, doesn't it? They're beautifully beautifully decorated. To go back to the sort of the idea of women and gloves, I've talked already about the intimacy of of the bare hand. It's noticeable that if you look at wedding practices throughout the 15th 16th 17th into the 18th century gloves as as i'm sure i've said in the last podcast are associated with weddings so they were given out as gifts that everyone was wearing gloves except the bride Mm. It's about intimacy. It's also about the eroticism of the hand. Do you think the people
2: who were at that wedding had any idea what was going on? They were like, this is a bit
1: weird. We've all got gloves on in the bride house. Can someone please <laughs> course, tell me what the hell they i did? Do? They, all, they all understood exactly what, they, what the historians <laughs> were, were later on going to interpret and the anthropologists. I
2: love that. People standing around at the back, going, what, God, have I to put these on again? I bet they didn't understand it. Well, I mean, you've got to Well, I bet they didn't understand it in the way that you understand. it.
1: Not necessarily in the way that a a sort of professor of early modern cultural and (laughs) material history might understand it. But, you know, they are... You've got to understand people are, you know, are operating within a system where they understand the cultural practices in a particular way. So something is normative to them. So the fact that the bride goes barehanded is a normative tradition for them. To deviate from that would be, you know, would be a sort of social faux pas.
2: So they'd know if if something was right or wrong, but they wouldn't be able to
1: They wouldn't necessarily know why it was Of course I I mean, I do stuff
2: all the time and I haven't got a clue why I'm doing it (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> but I, I want to I, seriously, I want to talk about the, you know this idea of the intimacy of the hand and just read you a little extract from Castiglione's The Courtier. So this is a sort of 16th century manual on how to be a courtier where he talks about women's hands. And he says, it's the same with the hands, which if they are delicate and beautiful and occasionally left bare when there is need to use them and not in order to display their beauty, they leave a very great desire to see more of them and especially if covered with gloves again. For whoever covers them seems to have little care or thought whether they be seen or not, and to have them thus beautifully more by nature than by any effort or pain. So there's this idea about covering them up and then showing them as a sort of to show your, your sort of delicacy and beauty and fairness. I talked about earlier on about the hand on the Shakespearean stage has wonderful uh, examples of how that's played out in Renaissance drama. Does but
2: that I- t- must tell you a lot about the society So not just the people on the stage, who, I'm assuming that they are mimicking and using gesture, which was common at the
1: time, but yeah. because it happened on the stage, we know about it. Uh, yeah, to the extent that we have the playtexts yeah, exactly. that allow yeah. us to do that, and we're we're able to sort of read them for that, yeah. Mm-hmm. One final example on this on this before we well, wild gloves um, kissing a monarch's hand.
0: This um, is one a, a step monar- up from a, touch. A
1: monarch might be gloved, so when an ambassador or somebody went to um, to court. And saw the monarch. If the monarch handed a gloved hand, it would be to issue an insult. And I've got an example um, from seventeenth-century Poland in polite society. A subordinate would kiss the hand of a superior. So you'd kiss the, the monarch's hand as a sort of as a sign of fealty, obeisance, deference to them. Uh, the protocols of politeness dictated that the person being kissed should remove their hand, and failing to do so was to express displeasure. Mm -hmm. And there's an example of King Ladislav IV, Vasa, who in 1644 held out a gloved hand to one of the burrs of Krakow to kiss, which was basically to issue the man an absolute insult. Right, I'm done. Gloves, over to you. Gloves, over to me. Uh, Well, a couple of interesting things, actually.
2: Paleolithic cave painting. Huh. So tens of thousands of years ago Um, and actually once we talked about the history of hands this is the first thing that sprung to mind from my my days as an archaeologist at university where we did a fair amount of this i've slightly obsessed by it i think it's absolutely amazing so although these look like pale hands painted on a cave they're not they're shadows
1: of hands so so you,
2: you put your hands against the wall and then you blow paint against it and then you remove your hand
1: we should do the History of Shadows. We should do the
2: History of Shadows. This is a very good one, because although the hand is the only bit that survives, once you put your arm in position in relation to the light coming from the entrance to the cave, your body casts a shadow against the wall, which, hmm. which makes this whole business of hands become something much more kind of three-dimensional and active, hmm. um, especially also with there's flickering light involved. Um, One of the really fabulous things about these hands, though, is that how many of them are missing digits... And this has been a complete myth, for well, myth, a mystery for archaeologists for ages. It's just a few examples of them here. Hmm. Um, so you don't just have the normal hand. You have a hand like this. Uh, well, it's the shadow of the hand, but that's how you're doing it. So you're having one that looks like you've had the top half of your finger amputated, uh, or, or all of your fingers amputated, or your thumb amputated the resulting pattern on the wall is not a five-fingered hand right. it's, it's something else um and, and we're assuming
1: that's not representative of somebody having lost a hand a finger
2: originally they thought that then they were talking about kind of um this is a, this is sort of uh, very early interpretations yeah. of the archaeology. And it was really interesting. They immediately jumped to the conclusion that people were ritualistically amputating their fingers, which
1: for mm. a primitive society is yeah. a
2: really, really bad idea. Yeah. Or that they were lost to frostbite or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. well, you um,
1: can imagine all sorts of ways in which they'd lose it. Anyway, recently written something about
2: this and is completely convinced that the solution is to do with children. So if you hold your hand up against the wall and you drop, say, your second finger down, half of it, and then you you make the shadow, it looks like it's amputated. And what they've done is they've worked out all of the different variations, and it's all to do with hand shapes and how you do it. So you hide your thumb, you hide your finger, you turn your hand around, you stick your fingers out, and they all give a, a very different shadow on the wall. And it mm. makes, it make, rather than this becoming a kind of a bewildering thing about spirituality and sort of humans marking things, mm. it becomes just an area for kids to play, which I think is wonderful. And Fantastic. It, and it, um, it makes so much more sense to me. And it's one of those mm. great examples of history when someone actually comes across an explanation, which is both, it's so human,
1: it has to be right. Hmm. hmm. There we go. That's fantastic, Sam. Um, tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to take us back to gesture. We talked a little bit about that. We talked a little bit about Donald Trump's oh, yeah. hand, powerful handshake. Um, and what I'd like to think about is some of the other kinds of gestures that um, we can think of for this period. And many of them have... Um, you go back quite a long time, you know, and we can trace these back to the ancient world. The handshake, for example, um, the thumbs up, the V sign. You must know where the idea of where the where the V sign comes from from your 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 work on it's archers, weapons. isn't it? I
2: mean, it probably isn't archers, but I'm going
1: to say it's something to do with English longbowmen. It, the, the idea was that it was it was at Agincourt, the French captured English archers and then cut off their their two fingers. Uh-huh. Anyone who's pulled a, a proper longbow knows that it takes. Three fingers rather than two. But the mm. idea was that those English archers who hadn't had their fingers um, cut off, saluted uh, their enemy. So we've got the V sign. We've also got the salute. Mm-hmm. And you can think about the, the salute, mm. whether it be the sort of, you know, the salute to Hitler or whether it be the, the salute. Yes, um, and there's so um, many different cultural versions of yeah, it, aren't there?
2: Yeah. Um, and also within the same... Within the same country, but in different services.
1: Yeah, which is and a, and a little a little thing that we have at the end of every podcast. The the high ah, five. There we go. Yes, the high five or the fist bump. Yeah. Uh, if any of you have seen the Trolls movie, try that again. The fist bump. You grab the fist like that, and you go around like this, pretending it's ah, 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 change, <laughs> changing gears. That's really weird.
0: Or jelly fingers, jelly fingers. <laughs> oh, no, I don't like
1: that. Everyone should go out and watch the new Trolls movie <laughs> to see uh, the the politics of gesture and the fist bump. It's a boxing thing as
2: well. Joshua and Klitschko they fought last night at Wembley. They, and, I, um, I, I do know that. And they fist-bumped to the end
1: of it. Did they? Mm. It's like a box's kiss. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Also, historically, um, the hand hand gestures have had significant meaning. Um, if you think about when you get married, uh, you join hands. Yeah. Uh, when you are in court, you raise your hand. Mm-hmm. So the, the hand has significant symbolic meaning that is connected to bargaining and also to worship, uh, which I think is really interesting. You all ought to go out and read Irving Goffman uh, on this wonderful uh, sort of theorist. Biting One's Thumb. As well, yeah, that's a weird is one. A, isn't it? Is a term of of sort of utter utter D- utter disdain and contempt. Yeah, where's that from? Italy, Spain, I Spain, think. Spain. I think. Um, and finally, I'd just like to.
2: It reminded me of when I was watching the Olympics actually last year was it the year before and we were so- someone had described the fencing. There was there was a fencing match. It was a gold medal match, and he it, it described it looked like two Italian
1: men having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> before we go, I just want to talk about one, one tract um, from 1644 uh, by a 17th century physician uh, and philosopher uh, called John Bulwer, and it's called Chirologia. Or the natural language of the hand. And these, he's a physician. He's interested in deaf people. And this isn't necessarily connected, uh, to deaf people, although he does mention, uh, the deaf at some point. But what he's trying to do is give a, almost a dictionary or a manual, uh, for hand gestures. And he writes, like an early sign, language? like an, or... a very, very early, very, very early sign language. You can see here, for example, all the different um, marks of the the different signs and symbols that he, different uses of the hand configurations yeah. that he has. That are in some ways, I mean, it is it is to communicate, but it's also to communicate in secret, oh. in secret ways. Um, and he writes, "The hand speaks all languages, and as universal character of reason, is generally understood and known by all nations among the formal." differences of their tongue. So it's a sort of a lingua franca by sign language. And being the only speech that is natural to man, it may well be called the tongue and the general language of human nature, which without teaching men in all regions of the habitable world do at the first sight most easily understand. You think when you go to a foreign country where you don't even have a hope in hell of understanding the language and what you know, you start using your hand to gesture Mm. and measure to point to, you know, do certain actions so that you're understood. So, there we go. There we go. I like the
2: secret side of that. Um, I read something recently about um, a mother who, whenever she holds hands with her son, she squeezes three times, and that means I love you. Nah, or or is, the Masonic, the, have you done a Masonic
1: no, handshake? What you, i don't, I'm not you. Masonic, Masonic handshake You're is just a little. tickled what, what, my hand What we haven't done is the, the sort of the urban handshake, the cool urban handshake. I'll teach you a cool urban handshake okay. that I learned very early. So you, you grip like that, yes. and then you swivel like that, yep. and then you go like that, and then you fist bump. Oh, very good. Isn't that cool? Oh. Well, there's more to learn about hands,
2: I think. We've only scratched the surface. We've done secret languages. We've done scrofula. We've done Exeter Cathedral. We've done beards. We've done cavemen. Hands, royalty, gloves. And, gloves. And oh, gestures. Importantly, gloves. So there we go. It was wonderful. Everyone, don't forget, you're the most important member of this podcast. Please get in touch with us. I'd like to see photographs of your hands. I know that sounds a bit weird, but I think that's kind of cool. If you have got any great gloves and some hand gestures, maybe? Try and work out what they are. Excellent. That's it for now.
1: Bye. Okay. Bye.
2: If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass, and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at thehistorymasterclass.com and follow on Facebook